the masters almost surely have a plan This clearly may be something near beyond the realm of man And until you thoroughly tested every last close trusted view I find the more you think you know, the less you really do That's true, Dr. Zayas Where would we be without THC? side chatters as we navigate the world crafted around us and push back on the paradigm shoved down our throats it becomes obvious that in a whole host of areas we're not really presented with the cutting-edge research coming from scientific fields full of forerunners working tirelessly for the common good no in fact pick your subject processed foods big pharma compulsory schooling nasa religion and even what we know about life in the universe itself all funded, tweaked, and twisted by the capstone cabal in the pockets of power throughout the years to make us sicker, dumber, or to extract more green paper for the piggy bank, while any empowering alternatives are quickly suppressed and snuffed out. This is the reality, people, and we've often talked about quarantine sciences, hidden factors to physics, or pre-approved parameters, if you will, that keep the workers in their fields from stumbling upon the usefulness of these fractured fields of study. And we know there are cases of alternative thinkers and bright minds like Nikola Tesla and Wilhelm Reich who realized this and worked tirelessly to open up these areas to the masses, only to make life harder on themselves and have their names barely remembered. Well, folks, today's guest might just be one of those all-important science radicals. His name is Richard Lighthouse. He's a time travel researcher and so much more. With a master's degree in mechanical engineering from Stanford University, who has been involved with engineering and aerospace issues throughout his career, he's also written over 100 ebooks, most available for free on his website. He claims to have made some fundamental discoveries about reality that, if true, have some pretty far-reaching implications. So let's talk about it. Richard Lighthouse, my man, welcome to the higher side. Thank you. Greg, uh, that was an excellent introduction. <laughs> I do have a website, rlighthouse.com, and I am trying to get the word out about an important scientific discovery. That is my main message. And that is that our entire universe literally blinks off and on more than one trillion times every second. Hmm. And that's, I call it the lighthouse frequency. It's a little difficult to get your arms around that because the implications of this are so profoundly upsetting to both science and religion. And it's one of the things that I've tried to kind of get the message out in a number of ebooks. And I've got the math to back it up. One of my biggest or my favorite mantra is show me the math. <laughs> so for the engineers and scientists and mathematicians that may be listening, this is not something where I encourage you to just take my word for it. I have presented the math on my website and in my ebooks. I encourage folks to go out and download them or take a look at it for free. I have three mathematical approaches that all result in the same conclusion. Our universe is literally blinking on and off 1.039 trillion cycles per second. And some of the implications for this are that the harmonics of this frequency can be used for time travel, travel at faster than light, travel between parallel universes, and instant radio communication to distant galaxies. Hmm. So there's some fundamentally profound changes that are offered to us with this new scientific discovery. Hmm. Yeah, man. <laughs> yeah, I am just really fascinated with this particular realization. I heard the show you did with Carrie Cassidy, and I thought you guys really got into some interesting topics. And so when you say that the universe is blinking on and off with everything in it, the first thought that comes to my mind was like a frame rate or like the flicker of a projector. Uh, would that be a good analogy for what you think is happening? That's an excellent analogy, Greg. One of the analogies I like to use is a typical movie projector that you may have used in school that operates at about 30 frames per second. And you'll notice that there are blank spots or intervals between those 30 frames, yet we never perceive that. In fact, you perceive a moving image on a screen at 30 frames per second, but the reality is it's a fixed image that's being projected at 30 frames per second. Our consciousness perceives that, 
our conscious mind perceives that as a moving image. And the analogy of that is at a trillion frames per second, you certainly do not experience the blank spots in between there and you perceive a moving image. And the reality is that this mathematical proof is trying to tell us that our reality is a temporary illusion. And this is going to be very upsetting to many people. Mm. We now have a mathematical representation that tells us that our reality blinks on and off and both space and time are temporary illusions that last for one trillionth of a second. Mm. So if you can get your arms around that, I encourage you to visit the math on it and see if you agree. Right. I mean, obviously it's a very dense situation to try to wade through and the math is there for anyone who's mathematically inclined. Is there anything else we could say about making that case that the universe is blinking at this rate? Is there anything else we can say to kind of, for people who might be completely new to this idea, maybe help nudge them into the direction of acceptance? That That's an excellent question, Greg. I've provided on my website, rlighthouse.com, three physical examples or three different sources of physical evidence that demonstrate that our universe is blinking on and off. The first is probably the most famous, Colonel Philip Corso, who was the author of a book called The Day After Roswell, and that was published in the late 90s, and he did a number of interviews with the mainstream media. One of the quotes that he gave, and you can find these interviews on YouTube, one of the direct quotes he gave after spending many years heading the Army's investigation of the 1947 Roswell vehicle, his direct quote is, we were never able to figure out how the propulsion system works. We only know it has something to do with blinking. And he recorded that in 1997, just before he passed away. That's a key piece of evidence that supports the math that I have presented. Hmm. Another source of physical evidence is a woman who was formerly a university professor. Her name is Dr. Judy Wood, and she has a website, drjudywood.com, and I encourage listeners to take a look at it. This is some disturbing information that documents what really happened on 9-11. And I'll direct listeners' attentions to what I think is a picture that's worth a thousand words. And that picture is called Figure 63. And on my website, I provide a direct link to it. What you'll see in this picture is an overhead aerial view of the World Trade Center taken just after 9-11 occurred. And what you'll see looking straight down into these destroyed buildings is cookie cutter holes that were made by a high powered laser. And there's really no other explanation for this. Again, this has been reviewed by many credible scientists. And just to name a few, Dr. David Griffin, Dr. Stephen Jones, Dr. Kevin Barrett, Dr. Lynn Margusuli, probably butchering her name, Dr. Lynn Margulis is her name. Mm. Dr. Stephen Greer. So there's a number of highly credible sources. This is not my idea. I'm simply passing on this information. The key here or the connection to the idea that I'm presenting is that the first building or the first two buildings that fell were basically the concrete and steel was turned into dust. A million tons of building material was turned into dust in less than eight seconds. And the key to that is this high-powered laser that operates at a harmonic of the blinking frequency of the universe. It basically causes rapid aging or molecular time travel. And I provided the simple mathematical equation that calculates the frequency that this laser operates at. 1.039 terahertz times the harmonic 256 gives a frequency of 266 terahertz, approximately, and that is in the infrared frequency spectrum. And I describe, if you care to download my free ebook that's titled Technical Description of the Laser Used on 9-11, and you'll find in there specific math examples, pictures, and a thorough explanation of why this is a relevant piece of physical evidence documenting that this harmonic is real, and our military is fully aware of it and has been using it as a military weapon against U.S. citizens. It's quite disturbing. So I encourage listeners to check it out for themselves and see what they think. 
The third piece of evidence that I'll reference is by a gentleman named John Hutchison, who has a website called thehutchisoneffect.com. He's a Canadian, and for many years he has been providing videos and photographs where he has documented the random levitation of objects when they're exposed to a combination of radio frequencies and light x-rays. And what happens is that combination will randomly create a resonant frequency that is the harmonic of this bleaking frequency of our universe. And what happens is you'll see videos, you can watch videos on his websites where, for example, a bowling ball will suddenly just levitate up in the air randomly. And he's got pictures of different objects where he's surrounding them with these radio frequencies and x-rays. And when it triggers one of these harmonics, what happens is the mass will levitate suddenly up into the air. And I have described that as being a resonant frequency of these harmonics, the base frequency being 1.039 terahertz. And I have explained this in more detail in an ebook called Massless Travel. And you can download that for free on my website or on Barnes & Noble, Amazon, Apple iBooks, Smashwords, Google Play, many websites. Just use your favorite search engine and you can find it. But that is the third piece of physical evidence where I'm demonstrating that this frequency is real and that there are a number of highly desirable characteristics that we can use now that we understand what is occurring. John Hutchinson has spent many years documenting this, and of course, he could not explain the math behind it, but he was able to demonstrate many times how one of the physical characteristics and what you could do with this frequency when it's triggered. So I encourage folks to go out and take a look at it and make their own opinions about it. <laughs> right on. I love those three subject areas. I definitely want to dig deeper into each of those three pieces of evidence. But before we do that, if we are flickering on and off and we only really are noticing the on state, what's happening to us and the universe during those off intervals? <laughs> I love your questions, Greg. These are <laughs> they're very insightful. And I've done a number of interviews. I would have to say you've got some excellent questions. <laughs> you zero right in. Thank you. There's not a short answer to your question, and there'll probably be some controversy, but I'll tell you my opinion on what I think is happening. I have a diagram on my website. It's called Figure U-1, and for engineers and scientists and mathematicians, I've tried to explain with a sine wave what is occurring. And if you look at that sine wave, you'll see, and most people are familiar with a sine wave. You remember from junior high and high school mathematics classes, a discussion about a sine wave came up very frequently. But what I'm describing is how a blinking universe, what is physically occurring. And you'll see that on the curve that I've presented, the areas above the x-axis represent matter and below the x-axis represents antimatter. So for us, in our terms, and I need to emphasize that, in our terms, what happens when our universe blinks off and the antimatter universe blinks on, for us, in that blinking interval, nothing exists except for consciousness, okay? And people are going to have a problem with that, but I'm, I'm giving you my opinion on what I think is occurring. Now, there will be some experiments later on that can demonstrate that this interval actually exists, and one of the best experiments that can be done right now in most university labs that have good electronics equipment, is we'll discover that the gravitational force and the electromagnetic force are constantly varying, just like a sine wave. And I've provided the simple math that explains the variation between the minimum and the maximum. And for example, the gravitational acceleration, which most scientists will tell you is 9.81 meters per second squared. Engineers and scientists and mathematicians will tell you that's the standard number. We recognize that right away. But what I'm explaining is the gravitational acceleration actually varies between zero and a maximum value of 15.4 meters per second squared. And this can be shown mathematically. Hmm. The time average of that force is still 9.81 meters per second squared. But if you actually sample this, 
at two times the blinking frequency of our universe, and that's necessary due to a theory that's called Nyquist-Shannon theory. Scientists are very familiar with it. When you sample data at two times this blinking frequency, what you find is it actually continuously varies, something that's going to be very fundamentally changing on our understanding of how our universe works. Hmm. This is huge. There's no way to understate this. This is a major, major phenomenon on order of any major scientific discovery. It's really, really significant and will alter all of our understanding about science. Hmm. So if you're a scientifically minded listener, I encourage you to get out there and look at it. If the math is quite simple and most people can understand it. And I encourage you to make your own decision. Come up with your own explanation of what this might be. That was probably a long way to answer <laughs> no. to your question. Hey, it's deep stuff. I got to give you some room to, to get it out. And I also wanted to ask you a little bit about Jane Roberts and the channeled Seth material. I know this had an influence on how you made this discovery, but what can you tell us about her or this entity, Seth, for people who are unfamiliar or who might think this is a strange starting place for such a discovery? I agree. I, I agree, Greg, wholly. I came from a very rigid scientific mathematical background, and many years ago, I started getting interested in alternative theories to explain things that really scientists were completely dismissing and that I had read about from people that I thought were credible. And so I started looking for alternative explanations that were outside of mainstream science. One of the books that I came across is a book called Seth Speaks, published under the name Jane Roberts. And in this book, I dug a little deeper and read further and found in some of the books that are titled The Early Sessions in 1964, this entity who had clearly a deep understanding of science and math and was describing things in terms that I had never heard of. And he specifically made the statement, and I have referenced it, that our universe literally blinks off and on just like a light bulb. And he made the statement that your bodies and the universe literally blink on and off just like a light bulb and that your scientists have not discovered this yet. And he made this statement in 1964, which was completely dumbfounding to me. But I was so intrigued by the idea that I started to investigate it and to try to understand how would that work mathematically, because this would literally alter all of our scientific theories that scientists currently understand. And most scientists will agree that we have a huge disconnect right now between what we call the micro worlds and the macro worlds of science. So the macro worlds of science, scientists will discuss gravitation and electromagnetism and Newtonian mechanics. And we describe how the orbit of the planets can be described using math, how the gravitational acceleration can be used to describe how an object falls. But when we look at the micro world or the subatomic world of physics, we find a huge disconnect because those theories don't apply. And what we find are subatomic forces called the strong force and the weak force. And we find that the mechanics and the dynamics of elementary particles can't be described by those macro theories. They do not apply to them. And so we have to deal with particles that are at very close distances and the, the equations that govern these dynamics are significantly different than the equations that are used for the macro world or the world, you know, that we see on a day-to-day -day basis. Mm -hmm. So for folks that are interested, I encourage you to pick up a book, Seth Speaks, and his other book, The Nature of Personal Reality. You will find a very kind of down-to-earth conversation and his later books get into more of the theories and ideas that scientists can understand. Probably his most famous work along those lines is called The Unknown Reality, Volumes 1 and 2. And he goes into a great deal explaining how the dynamics of electrons work and how our universe it literally blinks off and on. And that it's something that our scientists needed to discover. And had not, of course, at that time, back in 1964, this was something that was completely unheard of. So for readers and listeners that might be 
interested, you can find those books at your library. It's been translated into dozens of different languages all over the world, and it's absolutely fascinating. We'll introduce you to some ideas that you probably never would have considered and make for a fascinating topic if, if you might be interested. Right, and it is no small amount of information. I mean, those channelings, this Seth entity apparently divulged quite a bit, and there are just phone books worth of information, so it's a lot. But I did want to go back to the uh, Roswell thing a minute, and that Philip Corso disclosure I thought was super interesting, that he knew that the ship had something to do with blinking, can you go into the mechanics of that a little more? Is it just a matter of syncing a ship up with that blinking so that you can travel across space and time instantaneously? It's very interesting, and it'll make sense once you kind of get your arms around the idea that the universe is blinking on and off. And if you have a background in electronics at all, it will make a great deal of sense. And I'll give you some specific examples. Colonel Corso headed up the Army's investigation and attempted to reverse engineer the vehicle that's popularly known as the 1947 Roswell vehicle. And there have been a number of published statements by credible sources. Jess Marcel, who was the intelligence officer that was on site there at Roswell, him and his son have both published uh, I should say his son mostly has published information about the vehicle and apparently until he passed away had actual pieces of the fragments of the vehicle that his father had brought home after it. So it's actually quite interesting. But prior or just immediately after about 10 years after that happened, Colonel Corso was working at, I believe it's the White Sands Missile Facility in New Mexico. And this was, I think, the year about 1957. Don't quote me on that year. But in his book, he describes flying over, you know, this is a vast facility out in the desert, flying over a portion of the field with one other, I believe, a sergeant or something. And he noticed something on the ground. He said, that's not right. We don't have any debris in that area. That shouldn't be there. And he went back to the base and he knew that it was possibly a security or a top secret issue. And so he deliberately went by himself and drove in a Jeep. You know, it was not immediate drive. It was quite far away. Drove apparently a couple of hours out to this distant location on the base. And if I recall correctly, it was somewhere right around dusk. But he came across what it would initially appear to be a, a crashed vehicle. And as he approached it on foot, he noticed, don't quote me on my, I'm trying to remember his exact words, but for those that are interested, you can, you can watch his videos on YouTube and the book is probably available in your local library. It's called The Day After Roswell, but he describes coming upon this vehicle and he said the vehicle seemed to be glowing and pulsing and it seemed to be at times transparent and would fade in and out of our universe. And he was absolutely fascinated by this vehicle. Why would it be doing this? But if you have any training in electronics, you will know that it sounds very much like a signal generator that's trying to synchronize with a frequency. And you'll notice if what I'm describing, this blinking frequency is correct, it's a very precise, very narrow band frequency. And the way you would approach this with a signal generator is you would sweep back and forth across this frequency at a very high rate because it's almost impossible to precisely tune into it like a radio tuner. And the reason it's so difficult to tune into is because the bandwidth on this frequency is a pure tone. Now, scientists will recognize that and say, that's very unusual. Yes, a pure tone is very unusual in nature. You don't come across it. But in fact, that's what this harmonic is. This particular harmonic, the first one would be 2.078 terahertz. So if you wanted to use a signal generator to approach this frequency, you couldn't precisely generate it like tuning in a radio tuner. So what you would do is sweep a frequency back and forth across it 
maybe a thousand times a second, and you would trigger it by sweeping over it back and forth. And because you weren't precisely getting the right frequency, that would explain why the vehicle, which is grounded but still tied into this frequency, that would explain what he witnessed. You get a very direct explanation of what a person outside of the vehicle would perceive. You would perceive a glowing or pulsing, and at times the vehicle would appear to be transparent, and it would seem to move in and out of our universe. That's a perfect description of how this frequency would work. So in 1997, when they interviewed Colonel Corso, he was was very explicit. He said, we were never able to figure out how the propulsion system works. We only know it has something to do with blinking. Well, in 1997, and certainly prior to that, we didn't have the technology that could reach these frequencies. 2.078 terahertz is not something that any signal generator could reach. In fact, it's very difficult to do today. So given the technology that was available to them, it's perfectly reasonable for them to say, we couldn't figure it out. We didn't have any electronic equipment that could trigger these frequencies, but we strongly suspected that it had something to do with blinking. Perfect description. Yeah. So that gives kind of Corso's take on it. And for those folks that are interested, go out and pick up that book. It's probably available at your local library. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think this is quite interesting. And in previous interviews, I've also heard you mention that the beans taken from the Roswell incident were referred to as P-24s, I think it was, which is a detail I don't think I've ever heard before. But what does that label indicate? Um, I'm getting that information. That's not my idea or my label. I got that from a man named Dr. Dan Burrish. And I encourage folks to look him up online. He's got a number of YouTube videos that are available. This guy has an amazing background and a story to go with it. He worked at one of the top secret underground bases in the Nevada desert. And he apparently interacted with a being Without being an expert on that, I'll let listeners to go out there and and search out those videos and watch them themselves and see what you think. But one of the unusual things about Dr. Dan Burrish is that he was also apparently a member of what's called the Majestic 12 Committee. Majestic stands for the Majority Intelligence Committee, spelled M-A-J-I-C, and it's short for Majority Intelligence Committee. It is apparent that at the time that Dr. Dan Bursch was a member of this committee, along with his wife, who had access to the highest possible security information, that it is apparent that without using Dick Cheney's name, it's apparent that Dick Cheney was the head of this committee and had been treating Dr. Dan Bursch quite harshly. In fact, he was, based on a number of things that he had done, was subjected to physical abuse, which is very concerning. But one of the descriptions that Dr. Bursch explains was the Intelligence Committee is holding these every nine-year meetings that are called the Tau Nine conferences. And apparently these conferences transcend time. And some of the beings, and again, I'm simply repeating what Dr. Bursch has stated, is these Tau Nine meetings involve beings who have basically traveled through time. The terms that they use have to do with the time period that these beings are coming from. P-24s are the designation they use for the Roswell occupants. Apparently, these were not beings from another planet. They are future Earth inhabitants from a period of time that comes from 24,000 years in our future on one probability timeline. That means it's not necessarily our future. It is simply one probability that exists in our future. Some of the other beings that he refers to are the P-45s and the P-52s and another group that's called the rogue P-45s, which is apparently, according to Dr. Dan Burrish, an offshoot of the P-45 group. And these beings are supposedly from one probable timeline in our future, and they don't necessarily agree with each other. That's what makes this for an interesting discussion 
from Dr. Burge's point of view. But if you're interested in that, I encourage you to, to go out and take a look at it and make up your own mind whether or not you think it's real. In my opinion, Dr. Burge is a credible source. He has demonstrated he had top secret clearance access in the underground Nevada bases. He's got some some strong credentials that go with it, and he's backed up some of it with some of his claims with physical evidence. So I found it compelling. I can't say that it's 100% certain, but he did have some compelling evidence that he presented. Again, that was another long-winded answer to your question. I love it. Uh, I think that's fascinating. And I'm also kind of curious, do you see the discovery of this flicker tying into explaining any other strange phenomenon? I mean, not only do people see a lot of strange things out there, but there's also psi effects like precognition, telepathy, out-of-body experience, things related to the sphere of consciousness. Can we get a better understanding of how consciousness interacts with this world and some of these stranger effects we see by considering this new model you're talking about? It does. There is an interesting mathematical explanation, and that's probably the first time you'll ever hear that, a mathematical explanation for telepathy, precognition, and what I would call psychic phenomenon. If we try to explain that mathematically and we look at this blinking universe concept, what you see is during the off cycle, again, in our terms, and I need to emphasize that, in our terms, during that off cycle, no physical matter exists. So what you're dealing with is consciousness only exists during those off cycles. In our terms, our universe collapses to a single point. Okay. And again, this is in our terms, mathematically, our universe collapses to a single point and all matter, memories, any physical phenomena, physical particles can be explained as vibrations that occur within a single point. In other words, our universe collapses to a single point. There's no distance between things. There is instant communication between things because they're literally in close contact with everything. So these descriptions that we've heard from psychics and from idealist movements claiming that everything is connected, everything is all one, the universe is whole, the holistic descriptions of our universe. Now we have a mathematical basis for that. And we can say that During that off cycle, when everything exists as a single point and near infinite number of vibrations that occur within that single point, it becomes clear that telepathy and precognition might be explained mathematically as time existing simultaneously. Okay, and let me me try to explain that a little further. (laughs) Within the massive present moment, all periods of time exist. All time is simultaneous. So when someone says they're precognitive about something, we could say that that might be explained legitimately by someone having subconscious access to, on a continuous basis in our terms, to events that are happening in the future, but in our terms happening right now, within the massive present moment. So if you can get your arms around that, I'm giving an alternate description of time. Time does not exist in sequential terms. That's not a correct description of time. Sequential time is an illusion and distance within space is also an illusion. You can demonstrate mathematically that if time, sequential time is an illusion, I can show how from Newtonian mechanics, if time is illusion, the distance is also an illusion. And so from that basic concept of an electrical universe that exists at a single point, we can experience all periods of time, including time before moments happen in our terms. Hmm. One of my favorite quotes that, that I will borrow from Seth is that you have no idea the difficulty of explaining time to someone 
to whom must then take time to understand the explanation. And I like that (laughs) clever quote because it really encapsulates how upsetting it is to what we think is all of our root assumptions about the nature of time and how it works and how it's basically not correct. Right. All of time is simultaneous and exists within the massive present moment. So what we can take away from that is time travel is possible because we don't travel through time by going backwards or forwards. All of time travel would be sideways to a moment or event that's happening right now. Hmm. We simply are skipping across the timelines and selectively choosing which timeline we want to experience. Now, from a, a subconscious point of view, we might describe that as our subconscious mind has continuous access to all of these probable timelines that are happening right now, but our ego filters out all of these timelines so that our conscious mind can only experience one at a time. It's not that those timelines are not happening. They are literally happening simultaneously, overlaid with the present reality that we experience, but our ego filters all of them out except for one because we simply could not handle that much reality at the same time. It would overwhelm us to experience multiple realities at the same time. It would be sensory overload. You simply could not handle it. Hmm. One of the analogies that Seth gives that I think is, is quite descriptive is he said, try to imagine experiencing the hottest temperature, the greatest vibration, like a giant earthquake, the loudest noise, the strongest smell, the greatest acceleration, all of these forces, all of these events happening simultaneously. That's what it would be like if you experienced true reality, fundamental reality, as it really exists. You simply, you would have a heart attack. It would be sensory overload for anyone. And that's the primary function of our ego. According to Sigmund Freud, it's the repository of all of our dark emotions and aspects. That's not a correct description. The primary purpose of our ego is to filter out all realities except for one, because that's all that we can handle at our present state of development. And we can mathematically describe that as realities that exist simultaneously within the present moment along different timelines. So if you can get your arms around that, it makes for a mathematical explanation of the nature of time. Right. Man, it is fascinating stuff. And you mentioned Dr. Judy Wood earlier. And yeah, she is one of my favorite previous guests. I mean, the amount of detail in her book is just amazing. And she sort of describes the, quote, dustification of the towers as them falling apart, as if the materials themselves were rapidly aged. Is this the clue that connects to the flicker? Because we talked about time travel implications. Could you just advance the age of a structure like that to make it seem like it falls apart? Yes, that, that's an excellent point, Greg. If you go back to drjudywood.com, I previously referenced figure 63, and I provided a link on my website, rlighthouse.com. I also would refer listeners to what's called figure 38A, and there's actually a video that you can watch over that occurs over a number of seconds where there's a steel beam, a steel structure that is still standing on one corner, one edge of one building. And you can watch where it appears the infrared laser and you can see sort of the heat waves that surround it. But you see this steel, this vertical steel beam that appears to be, I would say, uh, several hundred feet tall that's still remaining after most of the building has collapsed and it gets suddenly hit by this infrared laser and you see the steel structures suddenly turn into dust in midair. Mm -hmm. And that's clearly not caused by burning jet fuel. There is only one. In fact, ordinary physics wouldn't even have an explanation for that. But what I have provided is a further mathematical explanation of what's occurring, that this infrared laser that is clearly owned by our government and operated by our military, it's a satellite based in orbit, 
I encourage you to take a look at my ebook, a technical description of the laser used on 9-11, and you will see the simple mathematical formula, 1.039 terahertz times 256 equals 266 terahertz. That's the frequency that this laser is operating. And you look at Dr. Judy Wood's website, and you see these things that cannot be explained by ordinary physics. It defies explanation. And what I have described as occurring, Dr. Judy Wood emphasizes the dustification. And she goes in, in her book and on her website goes into a great amount of detail saying, how is it possible to turn a one million ton building of concrete and steel into pure dust? Because her photographs and the website clearly show the building disappeared. It, it literally doesn't exist. You should see after the building collapsed, you would expect to see a pile of debris several hundred feet tall that consisted of concrete and fallen steel I-beams. And yet there's nothing there. It's completely gone. Where did it go? It, it literally defies ordinary physics. And anyone that looks into this would say, you cannot reasonably explain that. We have looked at the collapse of a number of buildings in earthquakes and there's clearly a large pile of debris that exists after the collapse. Where is the debris from the buildings? It's simply gone. Right. The majority of the structure that composed these buildings is simply gone. There's no explanation for that. And what I am explaining on my website is the mathematical principle that these weapons that are owned by our military are, and are being used against our citizens is explained by this blinking frequency and exploiting the harmonics of this frequency. Now, another exploitation of this is in John Hutchinson, the Hutchinson effect, and he has videos showing that rapid aging does occur. And I think the preferred term or maybe an explanation or terminology that would explain that is molecular time travel. What we're seeing is rapid aging at the molecular level when this laser, infrared laser, is pointed at any structure. So the direct impingement of this laser and the frequency that the laser is either pulsing at or operating at causes these molecules to rapidly age. In our terms, to turn concrete and steel into dust would require aging at, I would estimate, and again, this is an estimate, 1,000 years for every second of exposure to this beam. So that's very rapid aging in terms of molecular time. So that would explain what we're seeing in these videos. Okay. So it's clearly a weapon in the Hutchinson effect. What we see is he will provide what appears to be an aluminum bar and he will subject it randomly to a combination of radio waves and light x-rays. And we see that the the bars and the, the objects of metal he has in there, when they're subjected to a resonant frequency at this harmonic, the, the bar just on its own starts to bend and turn. And in my opinion, what's occurring there is a resonance at this one of these harmonics is causing the surface molecules to rapidly age. And because they're rapidly aging while the molecules inside the object are not aging, you're getting a distortion in the metallurgy that's causing it to bend and deform. And he's got one particularly interesting video where he sees, you can see the aluminum actually turn into kind of a jelly while you're watching the video. It's very unusual. Hmm. And he also has some images where he shows what Dr. Judy Wood and Hutchinson describe as weird fires, things that just, just these fires that break out on the surface of metal with absolutely no explanation. But once we understand that it's operating at a harmonic of this blinking frequency, the explanation for these appearance of fires at different locations that sort of flame on and last for a few seconds and then flame out, what you're really seeing is rapid aging. And we would perceive that as a fire. But what's really occurring there is rapid aging or rapid oxidation. What chemical engineers would call that's rapid oxidation. And you see that as a fire. It's a rapid release of energy that we see as fire. Yeah, that's so interesting. And I'm curious if you could use 
this technology on people. I guess I know you've written about terms like electric signal healing or time regression healing. Has there been any cases of people using this kind of technology on people and having them live through it? Well, I can give one example. And Dr. Wood is one of the people that has documented this. Unfortunately, this never made it to the mainstream media. There was a number of people that were interviewed that were either inside World Trade Center 1 and 2 when they began to collapse or close to the building. And there's there's an interview with one gentleman who describes, he said he was running along the sidewalk to try to get away from the collapsing building because he could hear it coming down. And he said, I was running along the sidewalk and I suddenly started flying in the air. He said, I couldn't understand what was going on, but he said, about a month later, I went back to the location where it occurred. And he said, literally for one to two blocks, I was carried many feet into the air and then gently set back down again and just kept running as fast as I could. And he said, I, I couldn't understand what was happening. Damn. If you read my book, I can explain that mathematically. It's called massless travel. And I can describe how by interacting with this blinking frequency and synchronizing with it very closely, objects, any object, including a person, can become essentially massless. So what would happen to a person that suddenly became massless? You would begin to float. Why would you begin to float? Because you're experiencing, keep in mind, on a fundamental level, Earth rotates about, on the surface, one to 2,000 miles per hour in our terms. So we would call this centrifugal force. So all objects on the surface of the Earth, if they're suddenly massless, you are subjected to this centrifugal force due to the rotation of the Earth, and now you're going to be flung outwards if you're suddenly massless. So this guy... In my terms, the mathematical explanation for what he experienced was as the frequencies approached the molecules surrounding his body, he was approaching or synchronizing with this point that I will call the C point. And if you look on my homepage, I refer to this as the collapsing neutral point. And as you approach that point, any mass or any object will approach masslessness. And because of that, he would gradually begin to become lighter and lighter until he would float up into the air until the molecules around him no longer experienced that. And he would be gently set back down and keep running. And he says that it was at least a block or two that he would levitate it up into the air. And he estimates uh, you know, a good number of feet and of course, he was probably scared to death, but he could never explain what happened. There was also another gentleman that was interviewed, and Dr. Judy Wood, I don't know if she did the interview or if she simply recovered the interview and documented it for her files, but a gentleman who said he fell many, many floors, and he, he claimed to have actually surfed on a falling piece of structure from, I want to say, maybe 50 floors, and don't quote me on that, but I just remember him describing how he rode a falling object all the way down to the ground, and yet he didn't die. He huddled inside a small area of the parking garage that didn't actually collapse, and he was saved from the building basically turning into dust, which would have turned him into dust had he been directly exposed to that molecular frequency. So what we can say is if you look at the some of the pictures, and many people aren't aware of this because the mainstream media didn't want to cover it, there are photographs and videos of people just before the collapse of the building initiated in World Trade Center in the first building to collapse. I believe that was two but there's pictures and videos of people hanging out the windows at the top floor. And you can see they're, they're literally pulling their clothing off. Right. It is completely bizarre behavior. You're probably thinking, why would people be doing that? That is so bizarre. Well, what might explain that is this laser, this infrared laser that I have described, while it was being powered up to full power, 
would be experienced as a very intense sunburn, okay, before it hit the frequency as it was being ramped up to the operating frequency, the people on those top floors were basically being subjected to a very intense sunburn, even inside the building. And so they're literally ripping off their clothes because they're so hot. It's not the heat that's a good number of floors below them because there's a good number of floors below them. But what they're experiencing is that laser being powered up to its full power and unfortunately, we might deduce that those people died very sudden deaths. They didn't die from falling. They died due to rapid aging. They literally died of old age within a matter of seconds. It's a very... Wow. I don't like to d discuss that in too much detail. It's disturbing even to me. But to think that our government would use such a weapon on people, but to understand that they died by rapidly aging them, Jeez. it's it's a very, again, a very d disturbing sort of understanding. And for those that are not familiar with Dr. Judy Wood's website, I encourage you to go and take a look at it. Decide for yourself if you think that's what's going on. Yeah, man, that is intense and fascinating stuff for sure. So one last thing I wanted to ask you about before we start wrapping this up, we've covered obviously a lot of ground, but... To jump back to the Seth material a bit, you wrote a book about Seth's comments regarding graduating from the reincarnation cycle. And we talk about this a fair amount here. Some guests think we are ruled and secret by deceptive entities that keep us in this cycle as some sort of human energy farm. Others describe it much more like Seth seems to, that life on Earth is a school for spiritual development. What can be said about this cycle as you see it? Why is it in place? And what do you think comes after? Or what did Seth say might come after that graduation? That's an excellent question, Greg. I, I'm reluctant to get into a lot of detail because it's like opening up a giant can. Hmm. And without a thorough background, I, I think someone would be confused or lost w within a simple explanation. So I'm reluctant to give a simple pat answer. I do encourage people that might be interested in that subject to get a hold of some of these books and read them for yourself and form your own opinion. I don't want people to take my opinions or my views. I want them to do the research and formulate their own opinions. I think what I have provided is a jumping point, and I want folks to go and do the research and do the reading and form their own opinions. Don't take my word for any of this. Go and read. Form your own opinions. You're smart people. You can do this. It's, it's easily available. Most of the information that, that's out there is free. A lot, I should say a lot of it is free. There's so many sources and references that are credible. Some of the information you'll find is not credible. And you can use your logic and intelligence to weed out the wheat and the chaff. It's an excellent question. I don't have a short, pat answer for that. But I do want to encourage folks to do their own reading and the research. If you're interested in that subject, there's lots of references out there. You don't need to take my views or opinions on it. Go do the reading and the research. You're interested in it. Figure it out for yourself. You're a smart person. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess it is pretty deep, that particular subject. And if it is the situation we find ourselves in, it would really be the fundamental reason we exist at all here. <laughs> So I guess I could see that taking some explanation. Well, awesome, man. I mean, this pretty much brings it to the end of the line. I mean, what's next for you? Do you have any other books in the works or thoughts on subjects that you haven't published just yet? I, I do. I do have a number of topics that I'm developing and working on right now. Thank you for asking that. My latest works can be found at rlighthouse.com. Alternately, you can find a lot of my ebooks on Amazon, smashwords.com, Apple iBooks for those folks with uh, Apple iPhones and Apple devices. Barnes and Noble is another good resource that has many of my books. There's a number of large retailers that you can find my ebooks on lulu.com is another resource for those folks that are interested. Read. Go do the 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 research, uh, do the reading. Most people are very, I have found that most people are very intelligent and can sort the, out the wheat and the chaff and make their own informed decision 
on what's correct. And, and I encourage them to do so. I don't want people to take my word for anything. I want them to go and do their, their own homework. Right. Go out there, do some reading, rlighthouse.com. I've got a number of links to other people that I feel are credible. Dr. Stephen Greer, Dr. Judy Wood, a few other names, Dr. David Griffin, Dr. John Hall, Dr. Steve Bennett, Dr. Barry Trower, Dr. Catherine Horton, Aaron Russo, who's a film producer, has some very informative information on the Rockefellers and the Rothschilds, and the list goes on. Um, <laughs> very cool. I hope that helps uh, listeners, and you can expect more from me at rlighthouse.com. Thanks for asking. Right on. Yep. Resources are obviously important, and it seems like people are going to have a lot of references to go dig into after this. So I do appreciate it. I think that uh, the flickering universe is a really interesting model, and I like the way it connects to the idea of a projector or a video game's frame rate and the idea of a simulated reality of some type. And it's also great the way it connects to the Roswell craft and Dr. Judy Wood's work. And I just think it's uh, pretty interesting. It connects a lot of dots. So I appreciate you sharing that with us and take care of yourself out there. People doing this kind of work sometimes don't last long. <laughs> I, I hope to last much longer. Amen. And I appreciate very much being on your show, Greg. Thanks for inviting me. You got it. Take care. And there it is, people. Richard Lighthouse, mm, the man who knows the plan. He's got the math. <laughs> and you know, I heard Richard talking about this lighthouse frequency, this blinking universe, and I felt so much like the universal frame rate, so to speak. And I thought it would just be a more creative avenue into a simulation theory episode. And I hope you agree. If not, you've come a long way for nothing. I mean, I know people are challenging a lot of different levels, pretty much every level of the construct these days. So whatever people might feel about reality or something like Roswell or aliens, I think we should still look at these things from all sides. If Roswell did turn out to be some nuts and bolts craft from a distant world, this blinking comment is pretty intriguing in this context. It's something to think about. Of course, I also knew he'd spend some time on Judy Wood's perspective, too, which I think is always welcome for me. And I haven't seen too many people build a bridge between those two points, Roswell and Judy Wood's 9-11 work. And maybe Richard's frequency is that connective tissue. So I was very eager to buckle up and take that ride. I wish we could have gotten into some more detail in certain areas. I get that it's complex and we don't have visual aids, but... To Richard's credit, most of his books are free online, so I guess we are connecting you to the information. And clearly, Lighthouse is a pseudonym, but I suppose he has a lucrative career that allows him to put out his stuff for free, so win-win, right? Hopefully it provoked some thought, stimulated some neurons, and helped facilitate your escape from these insane times. God, I don't even want to talk too much about it, but... Social media, conventional media, political commentary, protests, counter-protests, labels and definitions. It's, it's really enough already, isn't it? It's been going on for centuries. We've all seen it. And no, it is not different this time. It's still two sides trying to scream louder, pump their fists harder, and taking an aggressive and tyrannical tone while declaring we could finally have a utopia here if everyone just did what I told them to do. And that's even cliche to say, right? I mean, there is no perspective on the current cultural zeitgeist that hasn't been discussed a thousand times. So it's best just to not talk about it at all. The people on the other side of the street are not the ones making any decisions that affect the things that we care about. Don't get baited. But do dig deeper into Richard Lighthouse's extensive book catalog on Amazon or at his website, richardlighthouse.com. But in the realm of secret sciences and conspiracy, he's written about a whole lot of stuff that we didn't get to cover today. But if you did like the standard commercial-free first hour of THC, there's always that second hour for subscribers of the Higher Side Chats Plus. And I did hit Richard with a flurry of random, unrelated questions in this Plus portion about other books that he's written. One other area he examines pretty heavily is how the elite families hide their money and this Lloyd's Banking Group 
So that was the first door I wanted to open once we completed the circle in regards to his lighthouse frequency theory and all the implications of that. But also a couple other random books he's written subjects on, like 34 patents on subliminal mind control and the MK Ultra program, clowns, idiots, and assholes, the state of the infamous FEMA camps and Directive 51, terraforming the atmosphere of Venus, and also dissecting the deceptive space agencies we know too well. We also got into the electric universe and other aspects of space that might be different than they're presented. So it's an action-packed plus show. Do consider becoming a member. You know you like what I'm doing. I'm trying my hardest. We got a pretty good infrastructure built. Everybody's RSS feeds for both free and plus should be in complete working order at this point. Email me if they aren't, thehiresidechats at gmail.com. But if you sign up for Plus, you can still listen on almost all of the same devices. Just sign up for the five bucks a month and start hearing the whole shebang. You miss a lot with just one half of a conversation. An hour goes by quickly with this sort of stuff. But you also get lifetime access to the forums, and that's a beautiful thing. Even if you just sign up for a month and cancel, I'm cool with it. Some support is better than none, right? Also, I might have mentioned new shirts last week, but there are two new designs at the Higher Side Clothing. One is a new Higher Side Chats logo with some icons for conspiracy, paranormal, and the occult, the trifecta of THC. And then this other one is a pretty damn cool design inspired by Crowley's Conjuring of Lom and the perspective that gray aliens might have more to do with summoning than space. So we have an altar with a gray emerging from the smoke. It's one of my new favorites. We call it gray magic. Check it out, thehiresideclothing.com. But yeah, guys, I guess that does it for me. I know I have to move at a quicker pace getting out the rest of the shows for the month. I'm very much on it. Thanks for listening. Thanks to Richard for sharing his perspective with us. I don't know if he's right, but... I've always liked things that sync up with that simulation theory, and considering what might be going on in the off intervals is pretty fun. Of course, it's a pretty polar opposite perspective from last week's show, but that's how I like to do it. So I'm out of here. Drink a little drink, smoke a little smoke, and keep your pimp hands strong in these severely troubling times, and I'll see you soon. Your move, matter manipulators, secret science quarantiners, and projectionists behind our 16mm reality. Your fucking move oh no you see the world isn't random it's attached to puppet strings control over everything the nine to five is trying to steal ya now don't that job seem silly Hello, can you hear me? Or should I play back recordings from some spy agency? Wish we were younger and free. I'll be thankful when it's all exposed. The vast conspiracy, there's such a difference between. In the damp
It's done. 